0: Welcome to the book club interview with your host, Scott Hollister, a show that empowers you to discover your best self through a deep understanding and review of books dedicated to self-improvement and business. All right. Welcome to the book club interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. Today's guest is Kimberly Vizi. She wrote Making Money with Rental Properties. Kimberly, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show. Good
1: morning. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: Thanks for coming on. Uh, love, it. love talking to authors and even more love talking about real estate and how we can make money with rental properties. So before we dig into it, I want to tell listeners a little bit more about yourself and where you came from.
1: Great. Thanks. So um, I, uh, I have a political science degree in Southeast Asian studies, which makes me completely qualified to sit here and talk to you about real estate today. Uh, but as I, we know, our paths in life take us in different directions. Um, What I've learned over the years is if you're studying revolutionary leaders, it's the same thing as studying marketing. Uh, If you're a revolutionary leader, you need a bunch of people to follow you. If you're Coca-Cola, you need a bunch of people to buy your product. It's actually the same sort of philosophy. Um, I ended up um, with the opportunity of doing an internship at the Museum of Modern Art in San Francisco. And as I was studying in the backwoods of Vietnam before the embargo was lifted, um, somehow I thought working in an art museum sounded boring. And by the time I came back from that internship, I was doing a nine week entrepreneurship program in San Francisco. My professor looked at me and he said, Well, I only have one internship left, and you will take it. So it was myself and four other women and a little Victorian in San Francisco, and we did this thing called corporate housing, which was furnished monthly rentals. And this is back in 1994. So before the dot com, craze of San Francisco, which really has never died out. Um, But lots of fun. Um, I love um, the secret that I will tell you is that my passion is not real estate. My passion is solving problems, creating systems and connecting people. I was simply put into an environment where real estate um, became my vehicle. So with these four women, they they were managing real estate, they were leasing real estate, they actually had no systems in place. How do you track your keys? How do you know where, how do you enter that property? How do you get the keys back from the tenant? Who's liable for what damage? How do you track an air filter? They didn't have any systems. So, um, I had fun working with them for nine weeks and I was a junior in, in, um, college, and they said, well, when you graduate, if you have to graduate, you can come back and work for us, and you can live in our garage for free, and we'll pay you, and you can fix our systems. So what college kid doesn't want to live in San Francisco for free, right? Um, Over the years, I worked for them for four years. Um, My father passed on, and I decided I wanted to be more in control of my life. I moved back to Denver, started my own business in 1999, so Avenue West Corporate Housing turned 20 this week, so very exciting. Um sat there on the telephone talking to people and discovered there were so many real estate pains out there. I couldn't help everybody with Avenue West, so created Corporate Housing by Owner. I tried to take everything I knew out of my head um, and give it away for free. So if you like this idea of furnish monthly rentals, sign up for free at Corporate Housing by Owner, and um, your, the resource library has about as much as I could imagine to put in there. Um, Then decided, came back and said, how do we expand Avenue West? We were in California. We were in Colorado. That meant I had two employing broker's licenses, incredibly. um, Spent a lot of time taking tests. It's also not my favorite. As a teacher, you can probably relate to that. Um, And decided there was a need. And how do we expand that need? We created a franchise program with Avenue West. So now it's Avenue West Global Franchise. Today, it's in two countries, the United States and Canada. Um, I've sold the company and I just get to be business development and talk to people about furnished monthly rentals.
0: That's so cool. That is is quite the background. So in terms of, and I've heard that before that, you know, real estate's not the thing that people enjoy the most, but it works. So how did, how were you guided? And you just told us a little bit about your background, but into corporate housing, what really pulled you into that instead of, you know, doing a different type of rental more of like a 12-month lease?
1: Oh you know that I like little phrases and so we call it the pain per dollar. Um, ultimately I like creating those systems because I like sustainable and residual income and I like to maximize my profits. Um, today there's something called Airbnb. 20 odd years ago there was not an Airbnb so um, today you can make a lot of money on Airbnb but there's a lot of pain per dollar. Um, depending on how often you're flipping it and what you're having to double check and all those details that go with it. Corporate housing is this wonderful middle ground. Um, You know, I remember working with a doctor. I'm a problem solver. I like finding answers. Um, So two stories because that's what I like to do. So my first story is uh, Dr. Braverman was um, an older doctor in San Francisco and he says, I really want to go volunteer in Africa. Can you help me? I got this house in San Francisco and maybe I could rent it for the summer um, so I could help pay for my trip to Africa. And we looked at the whole thing. And first of all, he had no mortgage left on his house. So he wasn't getting a tax credit. But then, um, what are the different possibilities? The Short answer is yes, I can find someone for three months to rent your house in San Francisco. That's what I do. And then we said, hey, let's put $100,000 mortgage on your house. You can then get a tax deduction for your mortgage interest rate and all that stuff. We took that $100,000. We went and bought a condo, which then t- cash flowed over $1,000 a month for the entire life of that property. And it went from being a $100,000 property to today you can buy that property for about $500,000. So a great win-win, it just solved problems. Um, Looking back over uh, 2008, my favorite corporate housing by owner story is I was at an event at the University of Denver and working with a professor there. And she said, you know, I've got this friend in the recession who lives in Salt Lake City. She has this big house. She needs to take care of her ailing mother, but she needs to move to another city to get a job can you help her? Otherwise, she's going to go into foreclosure. (laughs) I have never been to Salt Lake City. I have no idea. Let me talk to this woman and let me see. And she put her house on corporate housing by owner. And within a week, another family who had lost their home in a fire, uh, were living in a hotel with their children, rented the house. Um, It was a total win-win situation. Um, So it's corporate housing found me. I didn't find it, um, but it's been um, a Great solution for a lot of people. Um, And we'll talk about, you had some wonderful questions. We'll talk about some of the things that um, real estate investors can do to be more savvy and all of those great things. But what I love about real estate is you sort of think about it as like a toolbox, Um, whether it's an unfurnished rental, whether it's a fix and flip, whether it's vacation rental, those are all different ways to deal with rental property. And then also, what are the solutions? Real estate, for some people, they'll never see Social Security. So how do they set up that sustainable and residual income moving forward? The real estate is the only way I've learned to trust the ability to do that. Um, and so um, we just keep going with that. Corporate housing, there's it's there's about four different kinds of tenants. Um, the type of tenant you get off of Airbnb pays one rate as you work your way up the food chain and true business travel businesses will pay significantly more than even what you're getting on Airbnb for monthly rentals. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. I love how you keep coming at it from a problem solving standpoint. Um, when I was a teacher, we had this high ropes program and we had a, a six step process to solving problems. It was identify the problem, throw out possible solutions try each problem, you know. reflect back on that, and then you know, keep working that problem solving until you came to a solution. So do you think of the, the problem the same way?
1: <laughs> um, well, part of, one of the things I talk about, when I, especially when I'm training my franchisees, and I think the same thing applies to any real estate investor, is one of the number one ways you're going to make money is by saying no. so um, I have a bad habit of trying to attack all problems and so part of what I need to do is control myself and say sometimes it's not my problem to solve Um, you know people again when I got involved in this business there was no such thing as um, the internet as far as the way we interact with the internet today so um, attacking a problem I start with data and I think any savvy real estate investor should if I'm going to a new city, I literally get in a car and I drive up and down every street until I get to know the grid in which I'm going to be operating. Then I say, okay, what others, if I'm dealing with corporate housing, what, do, what are hotel rates in that neighborhood? What are extended stay hotel rates? What are unfurnished hotel rates? And then I start tracking them on a week-to-week basis and what trends can I find? Um, so anything can be solved. I think part of the challenge is teaching yourself not to solve things. And once you start feeling success in real estate, part of the challenge is to say, hey, stop and breathe. Um, Why am I investing in this real estate? Is it going to, if my bigger um, thought process is to have a happy life with my children, if I'm buying a new property, is it actually going to take away from the time that I spend with my children? Um, And so you have to, um, to think about that. I don't have an actual, I write things down a lot. Um, I also have a book that I write things down on that I can put back on the shelf. And um, then I, so that means I don't have to do that right then, but maybe someday in the future, I can take that book back off my shelf and, and attack it. Um, mm. I don't have that six step um, program, but I do always start with data. Well,
0: that's great. No, it's, it, it's, it's awesome. Anytime I can hear, you know someone else and what they're doing and i'm like oh i could steal that idea it's, it's great um so a little sidestep of a question so so what's it like pairing up with you know the brand idiot's guides and being able to write that book i mean that is a very well-known uh publisher and brand and you know did you have the the flexibility of of being an author and having your own voice throughout the process
1: a combination of a lot of things the, the first and most important thing is if you have siblings. And you are writing an idiot's guide, you will never live it down. <laughs> my little brother loves to say, now it's official, I'm a complete idiot. Um, you know, going coming out of the recession, I so wanted to create a what-if real estate book. My, um, I had helped out with another idiot's guide book. And I um, took the um, agent that we had used on that book. And I put together a book proposal. And I said, I want to write a real estate book that you can buy at Starbucks. Because I feel like too often people stumble into real estate. They're not always strategic about it. Um, I think one of the things I've learned over the last 25 years in this industry I took for granted that investing in residential real estate was the norm, and it's not. And there's still sort of these dicey programs that people can get involved in that aren't really the right investments for them to get into. But I said, you know, at at any point in people's time, life changes. Uh, There may be a death or a divorce or a job relocation or extra children or less children. I end up with a piece of real estate. What are my options? And so I said, let's write a what-if real estate book. We shopped it around. And coming out of the recession, the publishers all looked at me and they said, well, that's Mm -hmm. silly. (laughs) Um, Who wants a real estate book? Um, And then actually about a year or two later, Idiot's guy came back and said, we have that book proposal. We don't want you to write that. Will you write this? And for me, I really felt it was a great opportunity um, to... Take the stuff out of my head and and share it there is a lot of structure with the idiots guide but they let me put my own you know as far as the structure of the book and say this is how i want you to think about real estate um i want you to think about yourself before you think about the real estate because i think that's really important um it's a very fast intense process so really um I had 90 days um, to put my original manuscript together. Um, I teamed up with Lisa Iannucci, who's a professional writer. Originally, she's like, well, you take 60% of the proceeds and I'll take 40% of the proceeds. And I'm like, oh, no, that's way too much responsibility for me. We'll do it as a 50-50. And so I just sat down and I said... Um, you know, my what was my motivation? And I wanted to give as much detail as I could to help other people. Um, and so I had to believe that the book would unfold as it should. I just sat there for 90 days and I typed nonstop. I handed it off to Lisa and she made it sound good within the Idiot's Guide structure. So they want certain call outs and certain structures. We handed mm-hmm. it to them. Their editors went all the way through it. Um, we had one opportunity to a look at their edits and give our edits back. And then literally it was on the bookshelf um, within uh, 90 days after that. So for all of those authors who suffer forever, um, the crazy part of this is, um, you know, within six months from start to you could buy thousands of copies and it's designed to be sold around the world. So anything that was sort of more U S focus, they tried to take out, that was the crazy part.
0: <laughs> oh, that's unreal! I can't even imagine. Were you able to do anything else for that ninety days, or just typing?
1: Uh, I spent a lot, of, mostly just typing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's fun. It's sort of like a cleanse, you know. Yeah, yeah. After twenty years in the industry, then you just get to share it, so that's the fun part.
0: Well, I mean, it's extremely detailed. So just just being able to read the book and reflect back, and then being able to go through that writing process—it's just like short of amazing to be able to do that in 90 days. (laughs) That's good. So, and, you know, once you get into the book, you start, you know, back with your first rental property back in, I think, 95, you said. So it was a condo in San Francisco. So was it your goal to buy that as a rental property from the beginning?
1: Originally, it was going to be my primary residence. So the answer was no. Um, You know, I've been working with investors um, on buying real estate for about 12 months at that point. And the funny thing is it took me 12 months to convince myself that, oh, I should go do this too. And it's a doable thing. Um, Then as we were going into the process, I'm like, well, you know, I can continue to live in the garage for free for a little bit longer. And um, probably within six to 12 months, I was able to buy my second condo as a result of that. And then buy um, my third condo as a result of that. And then within 24 months, I bought my first house for $550,000. So my willingness to sacrifice a little bit longer on my primary residence and turn that first one into an investment property allowed me to accumulate four pieces of property over two years. So But who, I mean, 400 square feet. I mean, if you think back 20 years ago, micro units were not that popular. Um, You ask one of the things, you know, what's the best advice? That unit is a perfect example, which is the least expensive thing um, in the right neighborhood. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I could have asked for, I'd like to think I was really, really smart. But part of it is being in the right place at the right time and being listening to the the data around you that tells you it's going to work.
0: Yeah, buying the dog on the block. I'm just talking with another author and that was that was one of his pieces of advice. I think he got it from um, Nickerson's book, How I Turned $1,000 into Multimillion. I'm gonna butcher the title, it's over there. <laughs> but that's great. And I love how you've been around for multiple cycles. You know, that's that's a very important thing is that wisdom and hindsight. So what was it weathering, you know, that first real estate downturn, you know, and I, I think you said you were building your new home at the same time. You know, one of the
1: things when you're building it, whether it's a real estate portfolio or a business and you worked really, really hard to grow it, sometimes you give yourself too much credit. I mean, you don't really appreciate the real estate cycle. So my first warning is right now, we are coming out of a 10-year real estate cycle that has been boom, 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 boom. Um, Fix and flips have become very, very popular. Um, I would warn that unless you look at Australia, so Australia has this economic real estate boom that's been going for decades, that's not a typical cycle. Um, I was getting my broker's exam, taking my broker's exam in Oakland, California. It's a five hour test, so you take two and a half hours, you have lunch, you do two and a half hours. I was sitting with two guys, a young guy and an old guy, and I said, You know, we buy real estate in Colorado Springs and we can cash flow it on day one. The old guy's like, That's so cool. You buy real estate, and you can cash flow it. The younger guy goes, Well, how much is it? I said, Well, you know, $150,000 for a condo. He's like, That's the payment on mortgage on that is less than my credit card statement. He's like, that's the stupidest thing I have ever heard. He's like, I just bought a million dollar condo in San Francisco and I'm negative cash flowing it because I know that I can flip it in six to 12 months for this much money. And I'm like, well, aren't you afraid of a downturn? This is like 2006. He's like, nope, never seen one. Um, One thing I can guarantee is that real estate cycles will change. Um, you know, it's heartbreaking, Um, you know, especially if you have all your eggs in one basket. And so a lot of what I talk about is portfolio diversification. The Mm. number one mistake um, people make is investing in their own backyard and only in their own backyard. Um, So I was, that first dot-com crash, that 2001 um, first, you had .dot com crash, and then you had September 11th back to back. That was painful. You know, I had six high-priced condos in San Francisco sitting vacant at once. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest learning I got from that process was again, the cheapest thing will always sell. So even after September 11th, that 400 square foot studio would sell. My issue was um, corporate structuring. So the one thing I would say, investors need to understand tax and tax ramifications before they get started, um, because you could be blood, sweat, and tears for ten, twenty years trying to make five hundred, a thousand, ten thousand dollars in cash, and then you could end up with like a two hundred forty thousand dollars tax bill at the end. You know, if you're not doing it right. So I think sometimes we think too much about the real estate, not about the size. I had set my company up as a a C corporation and it was actually the company we had been growing so fast and our payroll was so big as we had so many employees. It was the company that was struggling, not my rental properties that were struggling after um, the dot-com bust. And so I had to sell the rental property, which was um, part of my own personal portfolio, but I had this corporation that was losing a lot of money because it was a C corp. Um, And so I had to pay taxes on the capital gains and I couldn't take the tax credit and match them up. So really understanding the structure in which you own all your assets um, is important and also understanding the tax ramifications for that. Um, And then having alternatives. Um, You know, something like a September 11th isn't something you can forecast. So um, don't over leverage yourself, you know, that do you have 90 days worth of cash Um, do you have tenants under certain leases, you know, the unfurnished inventory out there is very sophisticated. If you go out and you try and rent 10 apartments from an apartment complex, um, they know exactly what month it expires. You know, if you're doing furnished monthly rentals, in most, um, it's cyclical in most cities based on the holidays. So if you have a tenant who's thinking of departing in October or November, can you give them a rent discount to get them to stay until January or February? Because if your property comes available at Thanksgiving, you may not be able to re-rent it till January and that vacancy will hurt you. Um, and so you want to have different rental properties on different cycles. If you have 10 properties due to six or seven of them unfurnished. You know, you're going to get, you have them under lease. You can hold the tenant accountable. You get paid on the first of every month. Then you take three of those and you try and capitalize on corporate housing or Airbnb, whatever you want to do, vacation rentals. Um, That gives you the extra cash flow. Those furnished rentals really should net you about five to $10,000 more per year um, on those compared to, and I'm talking basic one bedroom condos. So Mm -hmm. You can scale that based on the different properties, but diversify your portfolio. If you like to do fix and flips, that's great, but you may want to have two or three unfurnished leases that get you that good, consistent income. So if a flip doesn't sell in the desired amount of time, you're protected and you, um, you know, in business school, they teach you cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Same thing with real estate. And that's going to be your challenge. When you're starting, it's about other people's money. And you want to try and get um, build on that, build on that. You need to create an end um, game. So you have to say, okay, once I've gotten to five units, then I need to run that. And when I'm building a business, I think about it as stair steps you get to each time you get to a stair step you want to run the profit on that for a little bit breathe think about it and then you say okay i want to make an actual conscious decision to get from here to there and what is that going to take and then i want to run that cash i think sometimes in real estate we just keep thinking more is better um Mm. and we get it's a little bit of an addiction um you buy it you fix it you sell it you buy it you fix it you sell it you need to step back and that's sort of what they did let me put into the idiots guide which is who are you as an investor and what's important? I think um, we get too into those cycles. Um, and I think you, you know, you're you a perfect example. You're learning this process. How do I diversify? How do I think? How does this fit into my lifestyle? Um, and so that, that's the one thing I like to challenge people on.
0: I love that the staircase is so simple, but yet yeah, uh, <laughs> taking that second to breathe, you know, it's like, oh, just hit that stair, stair, stair. Nope. Breathe, <laughs> focus, set that foundation very strong. That's great. Um, so when you go into the book, you've organized it into four parts. So part one gives us a brief overview of the real estate basics. You know, part two covers property management. Part three talks about tenants and all the stress that comes with being a landlord. And part four talks about the business side of rentals. And you discuss the importance of treating your rental property as a business. So jumping into part one, how do you define what investment success means for you?
1: how do I define success? Um, you know, and I think again, that's part of that pausing and breathing is understanding that your definition of success should evolve with you. Um, you know, I think the biggest gift that Avenue West has given me over the years was flexibility with my children. Um, and then also giving me a platform to give back, um, for me, um, I think taking the time to understand yourself and understanding whether those core values when you're dealing with, um, you know, one of the things they say in business is don't take things personally, same thing with landlording and all those other things, but you have to first establish yourself Am what kind of landlord am I, you know, am I a landlord that I'm only, I want every last penny out of this, um, or is there a pride of ownership? Um, For me, I believe that success is setting expectations and then meeting or exceeding those expectations. So I want to build that long-term relationship with my tenants so they come back. Well, part of that is I have to start by setting expectations so they know what they're getting into. Um, You know, as an unfurnished landlord, um, letting your tenant know, you know, on July 22nd of every year, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do a hundred point checkpoint um, inspection of your property. Um, I want to make sure that the property value is being maintained and you're going to be taken care of. Um, part of that, you know, is now the tenant knows you're going to come in and you're going to do an inspection on the property. So maybe they should take a little bit better care of it. Um, you're doing it for preventative maintenance, but it becomes a, a win-win situation, Um you know, it's always a good double check in furnished rentals. Sometimes you just want to include a weekly maid service so you can be in the unit and that helps hold the tenant accountable. Uh, maybe they'll actually take out the trash once a week. If they know that you're going to come and do a maid service.
0: Hmm. That was great, I love setting the expectations and then meeting or exceeding that's it's amazing. I'm going to write that down and remember it daily.
1: <laughs> oh, so well, well, my other little favorite thing about um, success is being proactive and not reactive. Um, and in real estate, there will always be uh, my hot water heater bur- burst last week. Your hot water heater at some point will burst, right? So how do you, what are all those things that you can put into place um, to prevent that? Um, so we can, we will have to react at certain times, but anything you can do to be proactive, that's my other definition of success.
0: Mm. Now, in, in terms of, so, so we found our niche in real estate and you know, we, we've gone down that path. We focus, we're building that staircase step-by-step. So how do you recognize good and bad investment properties today with all you've learned?
1: Um, I would say one of the best things I ever did was walk away from a deposit that I had made. Um, I was coming from San Francisco and I'd had a huge um, amount of success and I started investing in real estate in Denver and I bought something that was under construction. And when I finally got to walk that property, I looked at it and I'm like, this is not the right property for me. Um, in that case, I walked away from my security deposit and it was probably the best um, thing I ever did. Um,
0: what told you to do that, though?
1: You know, in that case, it was um, it was a weird bedroom configuration that I couldn't put a king bed into. <laughs> you know, okay. so yeah. I hadn't visualized So I would say in that case, um, real um, taking the time to uh, research developers, Um, and if I'd done the research on that developer, there were a couple lawsuits that were against that particular developer. Um, so when you're doing new construction, that's something to think about. Um, again, um, looking at neighborhoods, um, making sure school districts are, um, are the right up and coming. Um, my brother sold a house in St. Louis, moved away for 10 years, bought a property here in Colorado. It, Totally went up in value. Ten years later, he sold it, got a great amount of um, income out of his home. Went back to St. Louis, bought the exact same house. Ten years later, for the same thing he had sold it for. <laughs> um, so you need to understand um, the market dynamics. Um, you know, assumptions are bad. Um, if you just because you've been successful in one area doesn't necessarily mean it goes into the next area. The one thing: know your options. Um, before you buy, um, have you checked with the city and county? If you're planning on doing Airbnb rentals and vacation rentals, is there legisla- legislation that's on the books that could prevent you from doing that? So, I've been working with a lot of California investors who sold their real estate, moved to Las Vegas, bought all this real estate to do Airbnb rentals, and now, for all intents and purposes, it's illegal. Um, there's a certification process and you can't have two side by side. And so you can do it, but it's very difficult. So what are your options if, if you're planning on having a single use for that? Um, again, it goes back to knowledge. Um, I love pride of ownership. You know, I'm a buy and hold person. Um, so I always buy something that I would live in. Um, that's always served me well. Um, And then I just like to make sure I have lots of options and I understand what what are the potential. If, if I can't do a fix and flip and I have to hold it, what am I going to do with it? And when do I make that decision?
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. And and sometimes I hear other people say otherwise, but I'm like, if I don't have a good feel from a property, like if you don't see yourself living there and if it's not a a good quality place with pride of ownership, then, you know, you might not squeeze every last penny out of it, but I think, you know, tenants are going to stay longer. They're going to be happier, treat the place right. Um, and that, and that does more to your bottom line for sure. You
1: know, there was one property I didn't buy because I went to the local fast food restaurant and I didn't get a good vibe in that neighborhood. So, uh, you know, I've done where literally I will go to a location and I will do a practice commute from that location. Do, um, what does traffic look like at 7am? Um, you know, so again, I'm this weird data. I want to know everything about that community. Are you there at night? What are the noises?
0: Those types of things? yeah, yeah that, that was a really great tip from Jay Scott. He wrote a book on flipping houses, and that's what he does. He said he drives that neighborhood and that's the first thing he looks at before he even steps foot on that property now in terms of you know we hear this often enough, so treating a rental property as a business, so how do we do that when just starting out you know it's we, we want to be involved, get our hands into everything but soon enough we we'll find ourselves overwhelmed. So any good tips that you've learned over the years?
1: VRBO is the best example of that. If you're starting a business and there's intellectual property, you go and you trademark that. You stay in control. Um, so if you, um, today, real estate is probably about the equity increase in it, but it's the distribution platform. So if you think about lots of people own taxi taxis these days, but Uber was a distribution platform. So just because you own a taxi these days doesn't mean you have job security. You need to figure out how to work through that. And what happened with VRBO is um, VRBO was wonderful for 10 years. It was a fixed rate subscription based marketing thing. You go and you buy a rental property in the mountains, you put it on VRBO. And for 10 years, these property owners only got their tenants from one location. Um, They made a lot of money no big deal. Well, what happened? HomeAway bought VRBO, nothing changed. Expedia bought HomeAway, which bought VRBO, and everything changed. So these property owners who had been um, very happy for 10 years no longer had control. They couldn't get their tenants. Not only could they not get tenants, but they were having to pay huge percentage to Expedia to get the tenants they were getting. So the simple answer, and that is go and create Um, a free WordPress website um, with your property and your property description. Um, And so you're controlling the distribution of your property um, and finding tenants and all of those types of things. Now, those mediums, whether it's Airbnb or Craigslist, they're all going to evolve over the time. But how do you stay in control of connecting your product With the tenant, and I believe setting up a website on day one. The other thing you talk about um, with property management, probably my favorite thing that I do, um, I have a book for each rental property, and I start by measuring like all the windows. So I have one page per bedroom and I measure all the windows. So anytime I have to go and order new blinds or whatever, it's simply in a book. It's just there. Um, So anything you can document on that rental property front um, that you can then reference. um, You know, if you have a garage door, you should have a photo of the garage door, photo of the um, serial number inside the garage door opener. So if the tenant loses the garage door opener and you have to replace it, you should be able to do that without going to the property itself in a business, we keep track of everything. Um, Sometimes with rental property, we're like, "Ah, I just sort of, I know how it goes. Uh, But if you think about a business, one of my favorite books is how to run your business and leave it in style. Um, And when you run your business as if you're leaving it, there's a different way of determining how you spend money and how you document things. Um, And so documentation, when Property management counts for a lot, documentation and fix and flips, holding yourself accountable to your initial budget, um, not going over that budget. Um, those are all things that you would want to do. The other thing that um, is sort of interesting is um, if you're a business owner, your goal is to make zero taxable dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot of creative things that you can do in rental properties to keep your taxable dollars as small as possible. So work with your CPA maybe in that first, maybe you want to do a 15-year mortgage um so you want that cash flow to be as small as possible. Um you know if you're a real estate agent you can take additional tax deductions on your rental property based on and talk to your CPA. If you're doing a furnished rental you can depreciate um your furnished rentals. If you have and maybe you like to fly to San Francisco, so buy a San Francisco rental property and then track all your travel back and forth it becomes tax deductible. Um, so tax deductions, paying as little in taxes, understanding the CPA um, ins and outs, those are all part of the business. Um, but my most important is stay in control of your distribution um, of your rental property. And I believe just setting up a simple website because 10 years from now, if the BRBO world and Airbnb world changes, Google will still know that your property exists if you set up a website today.
0: Wise words. Now, you have quite the background. So we're going to break up uh, these next two questions. So the best advice you've ever received when it comes to business and then real estate. So with your comprehensive background in business, what's some of the best advice from a mentor or a book you've read?
1: Oh, uh, those are hard ones. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I come back... Um, keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I get carried away, um, with things. Um, and I mentioned this before, don't take it personally. Um, different people have and anyone who out there has teenage children can relate to this even more (laughs) than people in business. You, and I always thought that was stupid, right? Um, I take everything personally. I, this is my pride and joy. I'm going to put my stamp of quality on it. Um, But that's not a healthy way to to do it. Um, Figure out what makes you money and what makes you happy and keep it simple. Um, Going back, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Um, Especially with Avenue West was growing at like 200% per year, which was really fast. And those days we were the fastest growing woman owned business in the state of Colorado. You, when, and this is the same thing, if you're accumulating more and more rental properties, As you're growing, cash flow is not as important. You hit one of those slight downturns and that cash flow um, slows down. It's compounded in a way that is incredibly painful. So, um, you know, I think the real estate advice and the business advice are pretty simple. Keep it simple. Buy the least expensive thing in the right place. And cash flow is always king. Um, I, uh, I do quote one of my when I um, talk to large groups, I say cash is king, but property is queen. And I keep a plunger on my desk as job security because people will frequently say, well, aren't you afraid of Airbnb taking over the world? Um, in my world, um, I deal with business travelers and only 15 percent of business travelers are allowed to stay in Airbnb rentals because there's a huge liability. If I'm the company and I tell my employee they can stay there and something goes wrong, I as the employer can be held responsible. So as long as I'm controlling the real estate, um, I'm still gonna be in business, I just have to play different games to connect to my tenant. Hmm,
0: so smart. (laughs) Um, In terms of finding out more about you and and talking about Avenue West, we had a couple of great conversations before the interview. Uh, Do you wanna tell us a little bit more about your company and what you're doing today?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I think both the corporate housing world is a little broken and the real estate world of real estate agents is a little broken. And that is old fashioned corporate housing. People would go out, rent unfurnished apartments, rent furniture and sublet them out. That's a hedge. They're not controlling the real estate. Lots of people um, need real uh, furnished monthly rentals every day. Their Department of Defense does over 600,000 relocations a year. There's over 200,000 traveling nurses a year. Um, people's houses still burn down. People still get divorced. Um, Talent management in the business world is incredibly tight. So they need to move employees from point A to point B. The demand for furnished monthly rentals is not going away. As long as you control the real estate, you're in a good spot. The thing with the um, real estate business is real estate agents up to this point really only make money when there's a sign in the ground. And so they used to farm neighborhoods and send postcards and sponsor garage sales well, that's not the right right way today to build authentic relationships. Corporate housing allows you to build relationships with investors. It allows you to build relationships with potential tenants and potential buyers and creates a sustainable um, residual income on which to build um, a real estate, um, brokerage for the future. So I just get to uh, work with, um, people all over the world that are interested in building these new businesses and I get to talk to them and solve problems. And, um, so it's great fun for me to, to work with, um, Avenue West um, in that capacity after 20 odd years. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't have to deal with payroll and I don't have to deal with the ins and outs of day to day clients. Uh, One thing about property managers, we when you put us all together, we do all love our crazy stories. Uh, you know, I had the tent or the cat that got drywalled into the wall and I had a story about rats jumping through the windows. Um, my first employer said we would always make a million someday writing the book about our property management stories. So that's the fun part.
0: <laughs> a cat getting drywall. That's an interesting one. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, before we wrap things up, best place to purchase your book?
1: Sure. Um, the, the first thing is if you are a true investor, you can check, normally check the book out at the library. I love that. <laughs> so the Idiot's Guide to have a wonderful distribution. So you can start at your local library and you can buy it at Amazon um, is the easiest thing for the Idiot's Guide. Um, Avenue West, uh, if you need um, a full service rental property or a property management um, company. We are currently in 13 cities, so if you go to avenuewest.com. If you're interested in the franchise opportunity, avenuewestfranchise.com. We are launching an Avenue West Invest, so we have an investment fund this year, so avenuewestinvest.com. If you want to buy, put your $100,000 into a fund that buys rental properties for corporate housing, you can do that through the particular fund. If you want to do it yourself, you go to corporatehousingbyowner.com, register for free, go to your resource guide, um, and you can get all of the the things that were once in my head are also there for you to download
0: that's great kimberly thank you so much for being on the show today i enjoyed it very much your brilliant mind great ideas and a well thought out well written book so thank you great
1: thank you very much
0: scott thanks so much for listening to this show of the book club interview with your host scott hollister if you enjoyed today's episode please leave a review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time on the book club interview